If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Welcome back to another episode of And Security and All, uh, the podcast that keeps you safe from this crazy world on the internet and all the cyber talk that we hear about. As always, I'm your host, Kim Hakem, and today I'm joined by brilliant Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Today we're bringing you an episode that's equal parts of informative and entertaining because let's face it, cybersecurity doesn't always have to be doom and gloom. Um, So today, sit back, relax. We hope to hear from you out in the audience. Don't um, be shy. Please join in and ask questions. Today, we're going to talk about um, data privacy. Um, Interesting enough, uh, last week, me and my team, we were out at RSA, and the theme out there is that we are all in this together, and we really are all in this together. It was a great week out at RSA. We saw tons of our friends tons of new friends. It was very exciting. Um, Last year when we were out at RSA, it still wasn't quite the same for those of you on the Voice America side. That is a huge conference that happens once a year out in San Francisco. It brings about 30 to 40,000 cybersecurity practitioners in one place. Lots of networking, lots of parties, lots of educations, lots of brilliant speakers. So we are coming off the high of that. And now we are getting ready to, um, we are finishing up our Philadelphia conference and we're heading out to Minneapolis. So we're still on the road doing all kinds of great things. Today, again, we're going to talk about data privacy as privacy regulations be they are becoming more stringent, businesses will be forced to pay closer attention to their data collection, management practices. They require increased investment in privacy and security measures to ensure compliance with regulations and protect their customer data. So tons to talk about that. You know, privacy regulations will require businesses to be more transparent and with their data collection and their um, uses usage practices. So what does that mean? What's that going to evolve, involve? And how is the government going to get involved in that? Today, I have Dr. Rebecca Wynn. She is a recognized thought leader, advisor, author, speaker in the field of cybersecurity and data privacy. She has over 25 years of experience in the industry and currently serves as the Global Chief Information Security Officer, Chief Privacy Officer for Matrix Medical Network. Dr. Wynn has a wealth of certifications, including CISSP, CRIS. C, C-A-S-P, C-I-C-A, and C-C-I-S-O. Maybe she can explain all those to us. And she has been recognized with numerous awards for her contributions in the field. So let's welcome uh, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Hi. Thanks, Kim. It's great to be with you again. And just a little correction there. I'm not with Matrix Medical Network. I'm with Click Solutions Group, where I am the founder of Global CISO and Cybersecurity Strategist. You can catch me on Soulful CXO, my weekly podcast that airs on Tuesday at on 10 a.m. 
Mountain Standard Time, which is Arizona time. And you can catch me on the monthly show that I do for Bright Talk, Threat Watch. Okay. Well, guess what? Guess where I got that information? From when so, I was keynote speaker for you a couple of years ago. <laughs> I know. You were. You were. So, so I have a little confession to make. I have recently started using ChatGPT, and I threw your bio in there, and I thought I corrected it because your bio is so long. I was like, it's going to take me five minutes to read your bio and I'm going to get so tongue tied. So let me see if it will condense it to me. So that proves that chat GPT is not always correct. So my apologies on that. No worries. And just because you mentioned that I actually have had two companies call me in the last place, three weeks, maybe four weeks where they've actually had where people have actually taken my bio and then try to write their own resumes and stuff like that and get in the door that way. So Note to self out there, there are people paying attention that it's a help, but it is not the leading authority in anything. Well, and we'll talk about that a little later because I'm fascinated with uh, chat GPT at the moment. I've had speakers on the show that we talk about that and um, interesting that, um, that it messed up your bio like that. I put mine in there though, and I rewrote my bio and it found some things about my Navy history that I was like, how in the world did it know that? So I think it's a very interesting tool and I'm sure it knew, it found out some things just through interviews that I had done. So anyway, but Rebecca, Dr. Rebecca, Dr. You know, Dr. You Rebecca, that's good. I usually call you Rebecca, but I do want to give you the courtesy of, you know, putting the doctor out there because you definitely have earned that. So um, before we get into, you know, talking about privacy regulations and you did, you happened to keynote the very first event I did with FutureCon out in Phoenix. And that was five years ago. That was the first year of FutureCon after I had sold my last company. And since then you kind of have like like gone gangbusters in the industry. So congratulations on all your success. What I'd like to do is if you could just share a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are and tell us a little bit about you before we dive into some deep stuff on privacy today. No, thank you. You know, it's interesting when people look at journeys. So I'm classified as a polymath and expertise in many different areas not just cybersecurity. And so one of the things that ends up happening is that when you're good in a lot of things, what really should you do lifelong? So I've had a career actually before cybersecurity. I was in financial services. That's why you see that I helped many of those firms. I was number one in the nation from Mutual Beaumont, New England Financial. Found myself actually doing a lot of self-funding and things along those lines before it was in, you know, really in vogue is, is what I want to say. So people actually doing it. Then I found myself writing a lot of programs and things along those lines to be able to run all those actual aerials, which ended up getting me thinking like, I really enjoyed this side of things and thinking about that's when computers were like in vogue at the time, just kind of coming out and rent laptops and things like that. And I found myself in hacker forums and stuff like that, finding out how people were, were getting around things. So I actually went back to school and then got my, after having a double master's, went back and got a degree in IT from DeVry. So I tell people life is too short not to do what you love. You know, you work more than 2,000 hours a year. Probably a lot of us work very close to 2,500, 2,600 hours because you do what you love. So I tell people out there, if you're not doing what you love, it's okay. Change, change careers, do your love. It's fine. Sometimes you'll find that different times in your life will lead you on another path. So that's how I actually got led down this field 
started out writing programs. I'm a programmer. That's why you see licensed pen tests and all that kind of stuff. I did that with um, semiconductor companies. I did it with retail companies. Before it was again in vogue, tablets had just come out. I found myself creating programs to allow people to do things more efficiently, um, creating big configurations, being able to order things more efficiently with, with their back stock and things along those lines. That led me down indeed in banking, met some people along those lines that you're a natural information security officer from there. That's when you see me working for um, DOD, NCI information systems, went around the world being either a lead assessor or project engineering teams getting, you know, our bases and forts and, and things along those lines more secure. That's why everyone says we don't hear a lot about you until you then went to like LearnVest. It's because with my security clearances and things along those lines, all the stuff I did there was secret and still maintained secret. And I won't say anything here on the show that will ever jeopardize any of the agreements I have with the U.S. government. So that gives you a little background snippet before you actually see that, hey, she went with LearnVest and Northwestern Mutual, Matrix Medical Network, 247.ai, et cetera, that you see me go down the tech, tech stack. So tell us a little bit about um, Soulful CXO podcast. How did you start that? And what was the motivation behind that? And how do you find so much time to do all these things? Well, I'm an insomniac. Um, I have trouble sleeping at times. So I, a lot of times people might sleep six, seven, eight hours. I have a hard time doing that. I've had a hard time doing that since, since college, probably before college. So I do sleep more like three and a half, four hours at a stint. So that's with that. Not that I want to, it's just, it's just naturally how I'm wired. So I end up having to work with that a little bit. But Soulful CXO, the whole presence is that when people speak with me, like you speak a lot from your heart. I'm a wholehearted, authentic person. And so I started to gravitate towards people who are more like me when I would speak at conferences or things along those lines. So the whole premise of that is I speak about leadership, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency, because that's what's important to me as a human. So when I have people like Teresa Payton on, who's the first female White House CIO, um, and Kalukian, when I have people along those lines on the show, that's what we talk about. We talk about failures, <laughs> epic failures at times. We talk about good leadership principles, and we talk about going forward from a wholehearted perspective. And a little fun fact about you that I just learned on the show, on pre-show, is that you are, um, and you play the tuba. So tell us about that. And again, how do you keep the balance of all of this? And you said that you're getting ready to play what's happening out at Phoenix. The um, What did you just say? Tell us about how, how how that mixes in with everything. And we may have to have you at our event and do some entertainment at the end of one of our events. <laughs> well, let me make a correction there. It's funny. No one can seem to get trombone. Trombone. My, my brother trombone. played the tuba and I, and I think about the tuba and the trombone is like the same thing. And I knew when I was saying tuba that I was wrong as I was saying it, it was like, it's, it's, it's I don't think I said that right. No, it's funny. Cause actually with, I so I have a government clearance and stuff like that and every time they would do my background checks and ask everybody that was one question they always asked what instruments does Rebecca play nobody got trombone <laughs> and I, I've been playing it forever so I play I'm associate um, principal trombone um, for Scottsdale Philharmonic I play in the South Mountain Latin Jazz 
big band. We're playing for the Cinco de Mayo event here on Friday, play at four o'clock downtown Phoenix. We actually blocked down several, several of the blocks on there are all blocked down for that. I play in Scottsdale Jazz Band, Scottsdale Concert Band. Um, another little thing I do, just keep balance. I actually juggle as well, um, photography, um, and then I'm really into animals and, and things along those lines. So I think it's important if you can go ahead and you keep your creative side as well as your logical side. And one thing I like about trombone, if you think about trombone, that's the instrument that has the long slide. So I'm moving my hand from front to back. So I'm moving the slide out and bringing it in. I'm reading my music from left to right. They're conducting from right to left. Then trombone players always have to be listening to everyone around them and constantly retuning because that's a tuning slide. So it's very hard to be doing all that simultaneously and be obsessed about my work simultaneously. So it ends up giving me a good break. I end up usually playing Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, then sometimes have concerts on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So that definitely will give me a two to three hour break a day to be doing something besides thinking about this great field that we're in. Well, that is amazing. And it's Funny when I was telling you when we were out at RSA, the uh, CISO at Interstate Batteries, he's uh, he's in a rock and roll band. And when we're in Dallas, we always have our event at the House of Blues, and we always hire music that night and have you know a happy hour. And now next year, he's agreed to be the talent, you know, at the House of Blues. So I'm thinking we're going to have to figure something out when we come back out to Phoenix and uh, and do something fun afterwards so all those people that are listening to cybersecurity education all day can now unwind and listen to some good music and i know that you introduced me to someone that was a musician and so now i kind of can connect two and two together of, uh, yeah that's lisa lisnick um so lisa lives trombone professional trombone player travels around the world who's also my trombone teacher should so check her website out lisa lives trombone well, that's awesome. And um, uh, Dr. Uh, Deli Van Coley, she was just our last guest uh, maybe two weeks ago. Time is flying. I can't keep up. But she said, uh, hi, Dr. Wynn. I look forward to meeting you in person one day. So great. You know, one of my goals is to try to have as many women at my shows, you know, on these shows, because we're still not seeing enough women in in the field, in the industry. It was really interesting. We were, so thanks, Saint, thanks, uh, Deli for uh, tuning in today. I was um, in Canada a few weeks ago. We were in Montreal and I was very surprised because that event maybe had, I want to say 5% of women in the audience, at least in the United States. We're starting to see, um, 20%, we're probably starting to see 20% of women in the audience, not, you know, maybe 30%, but how did you, what was the enticement for you when you were in high school? Did you know that you, like, this is the field that you wanted to go into? Were you already technically minded, especially if you're creative and you were already, you know, I imagine you started music early when you were a child, I would assume. Yeah, I started music because my mom made me. I love my mom. She made me play violin for the first year. But since I saw trombone, I wanted to play trombone. And so that's one thing I think about. If you really listen to your heart, a lot of times it will tell you what you gravitate towards. But we usually have people around us for some reason say no. And I, 
I probably couldn't play trombone because there's probably only two trombones and they were probably taken and violins were open. So nothing against that. But the one thing was, is that I was one of those people who was good at a lot of different things. I was good at math and I was good at English and history and, and I'm just curiosity minded in a lot of different things. There's two types of educated people. There's some people who say I'm educated and there's other people who say the more I know, the more I know, I really don't know everything. So, hey, that's cool. Teach me. And I've always been one of those type people. And people say, well, that's great. But the one promise is I'm your straight A student and everything. So what is it that you really want to do your career in? I don't know. So that's why I've actually done a lot of different terms during my career, because no matter what I do, I generally can do well and better than most people. I think part of that really comes now that I understand is because I'm authentic at my core. I like helping people. I like being a positive ripple effect in the world. And so whether that's working in retail, that's what I'm going to be doing. You come in to go ahead and to purchase something for some reason. And I want you to get what's going to be fulfilling for you. I've never worried about if it costs $1 or $1,000. I'm always going to serve you to the best of my ability and help you because that's what I'm there for. And so I've been able to go to different careers and be successful. But you're saying, is that something that energizes you at your deep core is different. And that's why I tell people there's always a paycheck out there if you want a paycheck, but I don't work for a paycheck. Don't get me wrong. I like to buy things like other people. But if you offer me a billion dollars to work at a place and it didn't resonate in my core, I would not work there for one second. And I have walked away from bad situations where the people I was around, nope, they were toxic, toxic environment, toxic people that the outside presence of the company was very good, but internally was not a good place for me and I and I left. And so I think that's one thing that people don't talk enough either out there is that it's okay to walk away from a situation that is not good for you holistically. A paycheck is never worth it, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. I am... Um... You know, this is my second company that I started, but had lots of, you know, I was in the military, was out, you know, in the industry working for someone else. But my last company, you know, was there for a long time, you know, 20 years. But I specifically in every single, you know, move I've ever made, like going in the military, my gut said it's the right thing to do. You know, at every job, every move I've made, my intuition has told me that it is the right thing to do. And I do remember with my last company, just not feeling like I was driven anymore, just not feeling passionate about what I was doing. I could have sat back and, you know, collected a paycheck and live life, you know, like live life fine. But now, you know, I work really hard probably as I, because I, I had to rebuild a new company. So, you know, Lord only knows how many hours I'm like you. I don't get a lot of sleep. So I do work until two, three in the morning, but that satisfies me. And that does give me what I internally need, you know, to, to be successful. So I definitely understand that if you are not happy where you are, it's definitely, you should move because it's, it's not worth getting up and not being happy about what you're going to do when so much of our time is our work life, you know, and that, what, that is why I think so many people are talking about work-life balance nowadays. So, um, yeah, and I think it's, it's kind of dangerous. It's interesting how you, people always say, well, 
I'll, I'll, I'll get out of that tomorrow. We'll, we'll, I'll just hang out for another five years or 10 years or three years or, or whatever, and they'll be fine. I've had people in my life, very close people in my life, who all of a sudden didn't feel well, went into the hospital, and then found out they had, you know, level four terminal cancer and had six weeks to live. Yeah. I just tell people, I don't wish on anybody, but it gives you a different perspective when you think about if you are miserable today in anticipation of I'll just save enough money so I will be okay at a future date. You don't know what that future date is. What we have is the present. You and I right now have this second. Everyone else has a second. And so I tell people who listen, you know, there's a golden nugget here for you in your life. There's a golden nugget for me here in my life and having this conversation with you. I'm not guaranteed next hour or next minute. So if you are in a, a job, so if you're around people who really are making you miserable, you know, do some self-reflection. Are you adding to the situation, not adding to the situation in some way? But it's really a struggle that the chapter with them is done doesn't mean it's kind of like reading a book. doesn't mean that down in chapter 20, they can come back around in another area. Sometimes life has to make you very uncomfortable to get you to the next thing that you can go ahead and help other people. And I know one thing for me when I've been the most miserable is when I don't listen, right? And the thump gets harder and harder and harder until I finally hear it and move. And then I've always looked back and go, man, I really should have listened to that six months ago or nine months ago. You're still going to be okay. But listen to that sooner. And one of the things that you see that as we see a lot of changes is maybe the company that you're working for, you went into one culture, then it went ahead and a lot of executives change, your managers change, their strategic change and stuff like that. And now the company that it is now is not the company that resonated with you when you took that job six months ago, three months ago, nine years ago. It's okay. Yeah. There's other companies out there that can appreciate you. And so sometimes we hang on too long. And I'm absolutely preaching to myself that every time I've hung on too long and didn't listen to that innate thing that said, you know what, it's time for you to move on. Again, everything will always work out well for you. But that's the one thing I don't, I don't want to hang around too long. And the other thing is, is I can't be honest with you. I can't save every company out there. I wish I'm really good about privacy and strategy, and I, I can't want it more for you than you want it yourself. So sometimes it's okay to walk away. Yeah, and um, before we like kind of dive into our our topic, you know, I just, and this by no means is like trying to shut, you know, promote FutureCon, but just to give you an example, you know, when we were in COVID, there were so many people, we do all of our events in a hybrid mode, and there are still people that don't want to come out. It has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with the security of the introverted, introverted people that just want to stay home. And I have to talk them into it sometimes because we go through a really big confirmation process. I'm like, just come on. I promise you, you're going to have fun. I can't tell you every show, there is so many people. Thank you so much for inviting me because now I feel better. I'm not home alone. I've met new peers, which opens up different opportunities. And so any type of networking events out there, not even just FutureCon, you know, your local chapters, you know, go to those kind of meetings so you can find out other opportunities that are out there for you. Sitting at home, 
feeling sorry for yourself and being miserable is not going to get you anywhere. So that's just my little, I just think it's really important that you stay connected with other people. And then maybe this is not the industry. If it's not the industry for you and you're really miserable, you know, there's, there's a million different resources out there for you, but, you know, kind of taking a road, cause we could probably spend the whole hour talking about, you know, life lessons and advice that you and I have both had in our careers. Um, but since you are such a expert on privacy, you know, regulations and what's going on, um, you know, t- let, let's talk a little bit about what you have been seeing in 2023 and some of the trends and where you think we're going and some of the things that you're you're dealing with currently in your career. Well, it's interesting. One of the things is the United States has always been way late to the game, which to me has been very sad. I think most of you guys know who do follow me, Dr. Ann Kavukian. I'm an ambassador underneath her um, probably 13 years ago. She made me that privacy by design. If you're following that, she's the one who created that. It's in, I don't know, like, I forget how many companies now, countries, like 42 countries or something like that. And you can listen to her on Soulful CXO, the first episode as well. But one of the things is, is that I, I do like that it's in cities too, right? Cities have said, hey, we're going to take privacy and we're going to go ahead and put some other regulations city-wise to protect ourselves. States have said, you know what? United States as a government, you're not doing this. We're actually going to take some steps. The one issue that is definitely true, though, is when you look at it from a governor's risk compliance perspective, is if we're going to do that for 50 states and then we're going to do it for territories, it ends up being such a burden to try and keep that. And one thing that I counsel a lot of um, companies on, not only from the United States, but uh, globally, is that we have state mandates as well, too. And so that cross map in my head is pretty big. But I think that what I find interesting is not as much about all the regulations that we have. I do like the synergy that people say it needs to get better. But the question I really have is, is what's the so what, right? What is the ramifications going to be if companies don't follow these regulations? You know, is it one of those things that you have a press bite that goes ahead and says, hey, they it's a press bite where they get, hey, here's a three-minute or five-minute, $5 million fine. But if you follow that through the legal process, it takes three years or four years, whatever it is to get through. And then really it's a slap on the wrist and nothing really changes. So that's the one thing that I'm concerned about holistically, not only in the United States, but globally. We have a lot of regulations going out there, but the true changes, mm, sort of, kind of. Well, what are some of the differences that you're seeing um, between the United States and some of the other countries? Like where, who are the leaders of really, you know, regulating, you know, privacy and really, you know, moving forward with change? Like who do you look up to and who do you wish that, um, that we could be more like? Well, it used to be Germany. It used to be all the time Germany was the one that you really would watch. And then when you had the EU more form and everything like that, and you have GDPR, GDPR, right? That's encompassing. So I always looked and see what's happening on, on GDPR. I would say I like some of the stuff that's actually happening in Australia. And I also like some of the cross-border stuff that's coming more out of you know China and in countries along those lines. So that's what I watch. What I, what I don't understand is why... United States, maybe it's because of the political environment we have and everything along those lines, it gets tied to that, which we would have 
a consortium instead that was on cybersecurity, on privacy and all that, that had nothing to do with politics. It was the think tank that actually would be the leading authority and we wouldn't get caught up on, on who um, is the president, not president. What I mean by that is which party actually is, is in vogue um, for those four years or whatever it might be. But really, I think GDPR does a lot of great things. I think one of the challenges with GDPR does is too is how you're going to administer that. And what I mean by that is depending on which kind of district you're in, I'm just going to say it in more simple terms, each district on how are they enforcing that and what are those sub rules and regulations a little bit. But as an overall compass, I think they're, they're really great. They do a lot with you know, risk and AI and a lot of uh, things out of there. Canada, especially when you look at health and you look at things along those lines and watching for, you know, should you be able to watch people, not watch people, you know, should you should you be able to film people going in to, you know, place a bet at a casino and things like that? That's been in vogue for a very long time for them. And they've done a lot of great white papers on that. So when people ask me, what do you read? I read globally what's happening. Um, United States, unfortunately, we just can't get synergies. And, I, and I'm at the point, if we can't get synergies, let's go ahead and adopt somebody else's. But you got to enforce it, right? If not, it's not worth the piece of paper doing that. Yeah, interesting that you brought up Germany, because we actually have a sponsor that um, I don't think we're going to be able to work with anymore because they are out of Germany. And they did not like our privacy policy because we are an event company. And, you know, when somebody signs up for their, our events, they are checking a box that, you know, we don't sell our data, but our sponsors definitely have access to the data and they are, you know, they're checking a box and they know that. But this company in Germany, they just did not like our language. And um, and then and, and so let's use go even on a bigger level. Let's go to a RSA or a black hat, you know, where you have 30, 40,000 people there. I get emails all the time. You know, do you want to buy these lists? I, I would never buy those lists because I know those lists aren't real because, you know, I've been doing this 25 years and I did buy a list maybe 20 years ago and it's bad data. So how are these huge companies like that? And that's just an example in the industry, you know, the event industry, you know, there's a million other companies that's collecting data, you know, banks, everything. How are, but let's just right now talk about, you know, something like a RSA. How are they keeping their data? How are they keeping your information private? Well, um, for transparency, I don't go to RSA. I don't go to Black Hat. Um, so one, I tell people if they want me to speak there, if they would pay for me to go there to speak, I'll go, but they always say no. So just be transparent that way. But it's kind of hard because you're on FutureCon, but I'll talk in front of your back and behind your back. So one of the things is, is you have other emails that you use. And it's interesting how many times, even when I go for a speaker and communal this for me, it's like, hey, Rebecca, you're speaking. Are you going to sign up for the event? And I'm like, no. And then usually, you know, people like to have someone on their staff sign me up because they know I'm not going to do that. Um, but what I do, it's interesting because the ones who have my private email, they will put in my private email, tell me they're not selling it, and then I'll get Udo's email. And I have to go ahead and luckily I have a good enough name that I can actually go ahead and talk to the company directly and go, hey, you know who I am. You guys literally just put me on your list, get me off, and they will they will clean me off. But the one thing I recommend people instead is that you go ahead and you have a bunch of different email addresses. 
So use different email addresses for those events. Don't trust they're not going to sell them. The ones that are actually using the barcodes, I take, take black marker and stuff like that. And I altered the black um, card. So then they can go ahead and they can not scam me. Some of the stuff you have to be a little more creative that way. I also go ahead and if I know they're going to have a card, I bring my own card and just go ahead and pocket their other one. They're not always like full on that, but I don't believe in any of the terms of, you know, agreement for me going to the vent says that I have to wear your tag around my neck that actually sells my information. How do you know that it has a barcode and you go past these vendors and they're scanning to go ahead and get your number. I don't like that. I think that should be transparent. I think again, from being from Dr. Um, Ann Kabukian, I should opt in for you to be sending me material. I should opt into exactly what I want you to send me to. And then I should, if I say no, then you should respect that and not sell that. Um, also, the other thing is I do too, is with the email and stuff like that, I will permanently, I tell them I will permanently block you on the firewall. And so you'll never get into anybody from the company that, that I work with or for. So I think you have to be almost heavy handed, handed that way. Um, but yeah, use multiple email addresses. Um, if you can't do that, one way to do two is a lot of them. It's the way you write your name. Maybe you go ahead in the, the second and the third letters, you go ahead and you capitalize them and stuff like that. See the things along those lines as they capture them, but they're making $300, $600 off your name. So it's nothing free. And I have no problem talking about this at all um, because we don't sell our no. list. And She doesn't. I know that for a fact because I tested her. Just saying. Well, and, you know, the privacy professor, Rebecca Harold. I mean, she she emailed me and she said, Kim, I just got an email that said, do you want to buy a future con list? And I'm like, you know, that made me so mad. And she sent me the email and her being the privacy professor, you know, she did some research into it. And, you know, I even, you know, went and tried to get a hold of this company and they're always, you know, overseas, you know, there's some company overseas, so you can't get a hold of them, but it's frustrating because it almost makes me want to buy the list because I want to see what's on the list, you know? So, um, I, oh, we did, we actually did that. We posed, we had somebody pose and say, we're interested in buying your list. Can you send me a couple of the samples? So they did send us some samples and all the information was wrong. So it's just, again, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the business to make money off of selling the list. I'm in this business for a completely different reason. So it makes me really angry when I see that people are out there, you know, I just had that and Canada's pretty tough too. And I just had a Canadian tell me the same thing and he was not happy, but I I'll address them and say, show me what you have because it's not us, you know? So what do we, you know, what do we like going away from the events, you know, events when we're putting in an application and for say we're getting a new home loan, you know, I, I did have my identity stolen. It was, and I found out as I was at a cybersecurity event and one of my team members called me, this was a long time ago and said, Hey, did you just transfer like $5,000 out of our account? And I was like, no. And somebody, it was all through, it was because I was buying a new home and somebody, you know, it, it was deep, deep. I mean, somebody posed as me and walked in a bank and said they were the few, my, my old company. I don't use that. My old company's name said they were the CEO of that company and they were able to withdraw like $5,000 out because it was somebody that looked like me and it went deep. They, they sold, stole my identity on the business side and on my personal side. 
And this was like 15 years ago. And I thought I should go to LifeLock, which that did not, nothing at all. That was a big joke. No offense to anyone out there who works at LifeLock. But um, so, so what is your, what's your thought about that? And how do we know our privacy is safe when we are going to apply for a home loan or any, anything like that? Well, I'll just say for record, anybody wants to go into a bank and deposit money into my account, I'm happy to take it. Yeah, I'm they happy. didn't deposit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in coffee. I'm out there happy to go ahead and, and yeah. take a donation and buy me an org IT. But if you want to deposit money into my account, yeah. wire transfer money into my account at any point in time, I'm happy to do that. Now, um, I think one of the issues is, is that, let's face it, our data has been taken. It's been taken time and time again. I don't know how many breaches and data hacks I've been involved in, not personally as the attacker, but the one who's been attacked. And if you think about, it used to be like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Now it's maybe the three degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? People know them from Arizona. Arizona went ahead and thank you much, Arizona. That's not true. Not saying thank you, Arizona, but they went ahead and they, they sold all our DMV records, right? So, you know, people end up having, every time I turn around, they have where I physically live. They can go ahead and they can go to the dark web or in the type areas and they go ahead and say, hey, can we cross check and, and go ahead and so they have your address, then they have your phone number, and then they go to one of these call list people who have your email. So you have to be ultra um, vigilant um, anymore. And that's why you have different multi-factor and bioauthentics and things like that. If you don't already have that on every one of your phone, every time any of my accounts is used for a credit card or banking or anything else, my phone goes off. That's even for one penny. One, it also keeps me honest not to overspend, but I have caught people who when I've been volunteering one time where a person went ahead and they're like, Hey, you just bought this $1,200 phone. And I immediately called city city cards is one of my cards. And I went in, I said, no, I didn't. Um, even before the fraud department could detect it. So use those proactively. I also, I can do this on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to go ahead and send me a message, but I actually use an outside service as well on all of these data brokers that keep popping up like babies going ahead and they actually check for them and then they go ahead and try to get me wiped off them as quickly as possible. Unfortunately, they're allowed to go ahead and buy this open source data. Again, the United States, I wish it was like, no, you can't have that. You have to opt into them. You can't, instead of we have to opt out, but I actually pay a firm to take me off them as quickly as possible. Um, and they do that directly. So it's not like a spray and pray method that you can avoid. They're actually dealing directly one-on-one -on -one with them to get them off. So that's how you can get off some of those lists as well. If you don't believe me, are you in the white pages? Are you in some of these other people? Google yourself. If you know that, all the bad guys do that as well. The other thing when you talk about LinkedIn and stuff like that, I would tell you personally, I think the people who are sharing too much about their family life and everything else, it's not Facebook. And you don't have that lot of privacy like you can on Facebook. I don't do Facebook either. I only do LinkedIn. But you should be really careful on, on all the um, privacy information you're putting out there. But there are cleanup companies that you can do behind the scenes. And that's that's why I use to try and keep it within reason. So my public stuff is public. You guys know I juggle. You guys know that I go ahead and play trombone. It's out there that I've skydived and stuff like that. But, you know, stuff that you can go ahead and curtail. Yeah, I agree. I feel like LinkedIn is, should just be business, you know, um, you probably don't like it, but I have a tiny little small Instagram personally that I don't think anyone can find. It's, you know, um, it's just for my personal. I probably have 140 followers. I don't want any of my business people following me on that, you know, because that's my personal life, you know, and um, 
I have some, I have three kids and um, I'm going to bring this up with you being that you are in privacy because no one, all of my guests, I bring this up and I still am not getting the best answer that I'm looking for. You know, I went out at RSA and we went to a TikTok party and right after that TikTok party, TikTok got hacked. Their CISO stepped down. I don't think they're, he's even with TikTok anymore. I took TikTok off my phone. I do miss it because it was fun to have it on there. But because there's so many cybersecurity experts that tell me not to have it, I don't have it on there. But it is very hard to explain to my uh, t- kids that are in their 20s why TikTok is so bad. You know, I try to explain it to them, but I don't do a very good job. So what's your ex- explanation and why is TikTok such a privacy issue on our devices? Because it's not private. Well, I know that. I no, but I mean, but, that. But, yeah. but, no, but that, I mean, that's the crux of it. And again, I have a DOD background and stuff like that too. So I've never been TikTok, never been supportive. Any platform that you are giving away your rights to privacy should never be okay with you unless you don't mind the whole world knowing everything about your business. And if you do not mind the whole world knowing your business at all points in time, then you then use those platforms. I was a WhatsApp. WhatsApp goes ahead and gives Facebook, change their privacy policy. So what I do, I immediately quit WhatsApp, right? I use Signal. Signal does the same thing. I will I will change. So that, that's the question of you as an individual. Unfortunately, there's so much of our lives that if you have a presence at all on the planet, so you have not found a part on the planet that you can completely disappear to, and there are people out there who have done it, change your name, everything else, get rid of as many trails as you possibly can, and don't interact with anybody, then you could have a lot of privacy. So then it becomes, if I'm not going to go to that extreme, what aspects of the privacy around me can I control? And know as soon as one piece of information gets out there, it's out there. Like you originally talked at the beginning of the show, you talked about Chad GPT. People probably still think I work for Matrix Medical Network or something like that. Not true. Or Rams or something else. Like maybe it's going to be out there now that I play tuba, which I don't. Right? Is yeah. There, sorry about, sorry about that. Me saying that will probably end up on your Chad GPT yeah, bio. That or Trump that people say too. But once information's out there, it can't be gathered back. So what we're saying is that you need to be able to control that. And just because someone goes ahead and has a privacy policy today that you agree with, how many people out there when they say, hey, we just did this update, how many people read the next 70 pages want that update? I do. Do I do it for each and every single one of them? I'll be honest, no. But what I try to do is I go ahead and let's say even if you're using Netflix, for example, you take your Netflix and you take the prior, you take the one today. And then what, what we can do with a lot of the great programs out there is you can go ahead and do differential and you can see merely what changes, right? You can go ahead and say, now it says, guess what? We will go ahead and sell any piece of information that we want of you at any point in time, everything you watch, everything else. And then you've got a question you have to scale. Do I want everybody to know that piece of information? And if the answer is no, like we said earlier with others, walk away. There are other companies. I'm not picking on Netflix. I'm just saying conceptually, that's what you have to do each and every day. And what we have is because we're connected to so many different things is we get lazy and we don't 
pay attention. Same thing on your phone. Piece of software got updated. What did it get updated? I had one the other day that says, we updated. What did you update? Not going to tell you. What did you change? I ain't going to tell you. What permission? Not going to tell you. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you. I ain't using it anymore. I'm deleting you. If you're not going to go ahead and be transparent, I don't need to use your services. So you really have to take onus of that. You're never going to be 100% private if you're connected in the world, but you can control to the best of your ability if it's within your risk tolerance as an individual. So do you think that chat GPT could be a little bit like Wikipedia? Because, you know, I it just gave me bad information on you and I trusted it, which I shouldn't How have trusted. <laughs> I know I shouldn't have trusted it. And I and I admitted my fault at the beginning, you know, but you know, it, it's unfortunately I was trying to consolidate your bio and I was like, great. I'm going to start doing this. I introduce speakers at all my events. And sometimes the bios are so long, it's hard to get them condensed. So I'm like, Jet GPD, it's going to be perfect. I can get condense it. Now I'm going to have to be very careful because it just made this big mistake with you. So what are your thoughts on chat GPT? Do you like it? Will you use it? Do you think it's like a Wikipedia? Because there are so much, you know, false information in yeah, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Um so I would tell you, so Jack GPT, let's just take it conceptually, conceptually as a whole, whatever the brand is, is there a way to go ahead and synthesize information quicker to get to your end goal? Process improvement, always good. But you always have to validate that process. And that thing is, that's why humans have a brain and are to be able to think. So you know, if I had if I had a phrase that I was trying to think of a title of a published work, and I'm playing around with it, going, should we call here, or should I call here, or should I call here, or what fits better? What would you do? You call a friend, right? Two or three or four friends go, guys, I keep playing away. Which title do you like better? And you would do that even with editorial boards and stuff like that. Well, this has been around a long point in time. Like, what is another way to say that title to mean the same thing that's not quite as long? Okay. Here's 12 different variations of something similar. And then you take it and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I don't like one through 12, but I like, based on that, that gives me ideas to write it this way that's more impactful. That's the positive things I think about that. If I just go ahead and I think, hey, write me a 15, you know, 1500 word article and let me go ahead and impersonate that, that it's mine. No, that's plagiarism, right? That could be still an intellectual property and you are still fully responsible for that. I would tell you, I write for Forbes, as many of you guys know, if you haven't been out there, read my articles on Forbes. One of the things that was on there is, is that you have to sign off. Did you use these AIs, all that other kind of stuff? Did you write all that kind of stuff from them? I would tell you, there's also other AIs out there to check for plagiarism and stuff like that, and they can catch that. Remember, you can go ahead and find yourself into legal lawsuits by doing that. And that's where I do see we're doing that. The other thing is, it's not only on writing, how about code? How about when you're going ahead and you're saying, hey, I went ahead and took this code that's um, intellectual property of somebody or it's intellectual property of my company. And I went ahead and I put it into an algorithm like that. Now it's, how are they using it? What's the term of use? Are they taking that and now putting it into their pool? What are they doing with that? Now you actually took the intellectual property of your firm. Someone did. Now they uploaded that code to write it more efficiently, maybe. And now it's part of that pool. Now your intellectual property is potentially being altered. What about songs? We talk about music. 
Whereas if someone goes ahead and takes a song, can you tweak that song a little bit? Can you tweak that rhythm enough a little bit? So I can go ahead now and call that my own. There is a whole legal aspect. And for us in the business, business liability insurance, that's where you're talking about now having writers on AI as being a writer to your business liability insurance. If you haven't looked at that, I talked about that in Threat Watch um, just a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about that. So what is our, you know, what's your anticipation of what's going to happen and where this is going to go, which falls into, you know, the expectations of 2023? I mean, this just came around. This just happened, ChatGPT, in November. And it's it's from then to now, you know, what's going to happen in six months and are people going to be out of jobs because it's going to be able to replace, you know, certain tasks, unless you are someone that manually works with your hands. You know, if you're working with your brain and you're a writer or you're an analyst or you're working for NIST or you're working for Forbes, you know, what, what are you, what do you think, where do you think this is going to go? There's always going to, technology has always come and made process improvements, right? And, and one of the things I was talking about earlier on another talk that I did earlier this morning is analytical skills. What's a, so what, what does it mean? It can't do that. It has to be taught that I, the visionaries out there that I kind of watch and I do agree with are more like the Elon Musk and people on that. I look at the think tanks and with Bill Gates and people along those lines. That's what I really pay attention. When you talk about the harmful to jobs, you know, AI is not new. Artificial intelligence has been around since 1950s. Machine learning has been around 1960s. You know, if you think about it from robotics, things along those lines, you know, how we can get, you know, our products very quickly and stuff like that, we use it by machine learning and things like that. So there is, this is in the young stage. I think the one thing that's always dangerous about these type of things is now everybody's on the bandwagon to roll them out because you're trying to meet a market niche. And what happens? Security, privacy, risk, intellectual property, legal ramifications, regulations, we're like running to catch up. We've seen that with privacy, security, and, and other things along those lines. But that's problem right now. The horses are out. They are running wild. And now we're trying to catch up and now trying to go ahead and put some sort of fence and some sort of structure around them. Holistically, always would have been nice is if we could have worked together as a full team put a nice structure and how this could roll out to help humanity as a whole. When you talked about jobs, you know, when you look about data lakes, so you're talking about all the, the data that actually we go ahead and we gather on our computer systems and things like that. And does it mean that, that there's something nefarious running on my system that's harming me that I just can't see? All of those type of analytical stuff they do is great, right? It takes a lot of data to do that. And I don't need necessarily 25 information analysts then looking at all those streams. So if I had 25 analysts looking at that stream of data and now I can put it into a bigger data lake, you did that with Sims, same concept, right? AIs, that type of stuff. And now we can go ahead and show me correlations. What it is is I'm paying humans to be the higher educated people that they are, critical thinking. Now what's the so what? In our environments, it's always, is it known? Is it documented? It's being implemented? Is it being measured and being managed? What is the so what to my enterprise risk? I'm never going to go ahead and throw a million dollars at something to fix. If my out of pocket, if it occurs, is it like a one-time event and it's going to cost me $10. If you don't believe me, is there a washer in your house that needs to be fixed or are you going to refix all the pipes, right? 
You're going to fix the washer. We do that. That's the type of thing that we're seeing right now. Where is it being put in play and should it be put in play? If I can go ahead and I can clean up that paragraph and write it more effectively to the executives, that's a value add. But you don't need chat G, GPT to do that. You could do that with Grammarly and other places like that. And you can you can also use some of these tools like you can put an on-prem version of that. So on-premise to your company where you can go ahead and you don't have to worry about data internally going external, right? You can go ahead and you can protect some of those connections that way. So I think it's just looking at these tools and using them smarter. And then the other thing is, is if I was hiring you to be able to write really well on stuff like that, and I was paying you for that, and I find out that you're using a lot of these tools, right? That's a type of lying and stuff like that. And you do find people losing their job that way, right? Um, being really false advertising. So that's one thing you're going to see a lot more transparency. That way you're going to see a lot more people in their acceptable use. How are you going to use them? And also, I think you are going to see more people doing um, some sort of sign off that what the work product that you create is directly your work product and is not being falsified over someone else's material. And if you are going ahead and interpolate off of someone else's material, how are you doing that? I do think there's going to be more accountability that way. And so you do, you might see people actually get paid less because of that. Paid well, less because of these other tools. We are coming down to about four minutes um, left, but you know, you brought up Elon Musk and um, he has been quite verbal on the news outlets that mm -hmm. he wants all of this to slow down. And do you think that's possible? I 100% I agree with him. I will just say that. Do I believe that everybody always has what is the best for humanity over what is best for my personal pocketbook? Unfortunately, no. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, on another note, a friend of mine who's a professor um, did some um, use chat GPT and put some of her work like like she was a student in there. She put several papers in there to see what they were going to come out with. She couldn't tell that they came from chat GPT, but she did say they were C plus B minus papers. So if you want a C plus or a B minus, you know, go ahead and use it. But if you are looking to, you know, now has that changed? Is it going to continue to change? Do you think, you know, maybe these are some parting words? How, how more aggressive is it going to get? Is it going to become perfect? It messed up me putting in your, you know, bio. Are we going to see it perfect more? Well, I think one of the danger out there right now is that when we used to do phishing all the time, we could tell phishing because of the grammar and stuff like that was written very poorly. Now you can use that to actually write more correctly. You could go ahead and impersonate being Rebecca or Kim because you can see what writing is already out there and how they write. Now you can write emails. And so you can go ahead and you can impersonalize them more intelligently by using that. So the phishing and the scammers, definitely a complete game changer. And I know we're running out of time, but that's one thing that should be definitely on your radar. Um, besides intellectual property issues, as well as your personal liability for misuse or personal liability of the company for people within your company misusing it. A lot of lawsuits probably coming down the pipe. The other thing you need for business liability, pay attention to the AI risk writers that are coming out. And um, 
Dr. Rebecca Wynn, who is a global CISO and a cyber uh, security strategist. Um, tell people how they can find you, how they can find your podcast, and um, just stay in touch with you. What's the where I would assume LinkedIn? LinkedIn's always best to get a hold of me. I do do vCISO work. I do cybersecurity consulting all the time. Reach out me on LinkedIn. So full CXO Tuesdays at 10 o'clock, every podcast platform on that. And then the Threat Watch with Bright Talk is monthly. Go ahead on Bright Talk. It has a channel. Well, thanks, Rebecca, for being here. We hope to see you out in Phoenix at our show. And maybe you can we can catch you on the trombone, not the tuba. Thanks, Rebecca, for being here. Thanks for everyone for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. Um, you all have a great week and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.